Ladies and gentlemen and all genders outside and in between, welcome back to Thirsty Work, the all-new sex education podcast that indulges in a little bit of hedonism. My guest tonight is the glorious, the beautiful Dapper Dane. Ooh, that's thirsty work. Well, hello there, you delightful individuals, you spectacular specimens of humankind. It is I, Baron Vane, Vane by name, Vane by nature. And my beautiful guest today is the glorious, the amazing Dapper Dame. How are you doing, you beautiful individual? I'm good. I'm excited to be here. Huzzah! Well, before we go any further, let me do the usual spiel. Welcome to the home of hedonism that is Thirsty Work, the all-new uh, podcast about sex education, the, the glory that is. Dapper Dame, you beautiful individual, would you do me a massive favor and introduce yourself to all these glorious individuals? Yes, hello. Um, normally people know me as the plant enthusiast on this platform. Um, I play a lot of open world adventures. I get really invested in character arcs. I like to melt my brain with puzzles. And then, you know, I kind of like to just like do plant stuff and play with dirt and have uh, community hangouts. Community hangouts. You do like a lot of playing with that. And recently you were doing some microscopics that I was lurking. You can't, you can't do it. Like, don't, don't hold it over me. I was lurking. You were doing some microscopic things with plants. Yeah, so I have a, a recent addition to my plant collection, and I have like almost 100 plants just in my room, um, oh, which means I have to be very careful about new ones I add into my room. So we were looking at leaves underneath a microscope to see if there were any like bugs or fungus or anything that would, you know, potentially get on the other plants. <laughs> that is entirely fair. Is that, do you do that every single time you have a new plant? Not necessarily to the microscopic level, but I do isolate it for like two weeks and see if anything happens. Just to see, just to see if anything happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but if it starts to like take a turn for the worse, I'm like, all right, you're not going with the other ones. <laughs> in his own little quarantine zone, like full mm -hmm. hazmat DD going in yep. there. Um, um, and where can they find you? Um, uh, Twitch.tv slash Dapper Dame. Um, also, I am Dapper Dame on like Twitter and Instagram. There you go. Now, if you uh, want to uh, find them out, then you certainly can do. And of course, I'm Valen Vane, Vane by name, Vane by nature. You can find me on pretty much everywhere at Valen Vane. That tends to be the, the way this works. Now, this is going to be an interesting one, friends. This one's going to be a particularly interesting one because this is the first uh, podcast that I've done where the guest has approached me and been like, hey, how's it going? Uh, I would like to talk about some stuff. And I was wondering if you'd be uh, up for letting me talk about some stuff. And mm -hmm. that's where we're at, isn't it, DD? Yeah, Valen and I were having like just a, a coffee chat hangout, catching up with each other. And you mentioned that you had a spot open, and I was like, I have a thing I would like to talk about if you have time. And Valen was like, Yeah, all right, I guess, sure. Well, I always have time. Always have time for you, you glorious being, because we go way back now. Jeez, it's been a good couple of years now, you know. Mm hmm. So, would you like to? divulge to the absolute glory that is uh, our wonderful listeners as to what it is that you uh, what is the great secret yeah so to rip the band-aid off um i am a former sex worker i was an exotic dancer also known in many places as a stripper for several years and that led to be being a professional dominatrix for several years as well and there we have it and there we have it. This is uh, something that you've actively not told, because I've known about this a little, well, at least the, the first part of that for quite a little while. Um, but this is something that you've been apprehensive about telling the world um, in regards to it, because there, there is a lot of stigma that goes with, I mean, sex work in general, but the fact that you've then gone on to have a successful like content creation career it's, I suppose it, it's that apprehensive. And do, do you feel apprehensive, like, talking about it now, now that you've ripped the band-aid off, as you so said? 
So I knew that if I was going to have this conversation online, I didn't want to be the only one speaking because when nerves get involved, you get jumbled, you lose your way, like it just becomes chaos quite quickly. So I needed somebody to riff off of. And you are such like a close friend of mine and also extremely sex positive. So it felt like a safe space to have the conversation in. I see. I am merely a tool in your evil machinations. I'm just using you. That is it. That is it. I am being used here friends well and truly used <laughs> it's entirely fair though entirely fair and you know what i it is very sexual if i remember when you first told me about it i was just like oh cool and then <laughs> like like i think that there is an apprehensive when you when you tell people about doing stuff that you're not entirely sure you're like oh by the way i'm into these things and when they're just like yeah cool oh my gosh yeah before this podcast even happened like i made sure to tell like my twitch chat moderators i'm like hey we're gonna talk about this if you want to leave it's totally okay bless their little hearts nobody did um and then i also told like my stream team founders because i'm a stream team leader um on octopus and dragon and i was like hey just wanted to make sure y'all are cool with having like a former sex worker as your team leader and both of them were incredibly supportive so i was just like I'm gonna cry. Y'all are y'all are so nice because you don't get that everywhere. Like there's such really a huge don't. stigma about being like either a present or former sex worker of any kind. But the, and that stigma is built up from years and years. I mean, like literally, we're talking centuries of like taboo nature of it. Because I remember, I remember growing up, and and as everybody knows, I'm a a colossal filth wizard and a deviant myself, but I remember growing up and being... It, it's so weird to say it now as a sex-positive and sex-work-positive person, but being like, I want to save sex workers. I want to save them because they obviously don't want to do it. They're being forced to do it. And, and there is that preconception of sex work where it's like, you, you are doing this against your will. Allow me mm -hmm. to take you away from this. Like, you, you don't actually want to do this yourself. And now, fortunately, it certainly seems in this day and age that things are becoming more open about it and people are being a lot more, look, I'm doing this because I really enjoy doing it. I'm doing this because it's making me absolute bank and what have it. Um, what, if you don't mind me asking, what is it that, that got you into the whole part of, like, you say you were an erotic dancer first? An yes. Um, and then from there, I met clientele to do the other work. Mm -hmm. um, but I was actually recruited. So there are agencies that are paid to go find like above 18, attractive, you know, whatever box that fits in um, people to go work in these clubs. And they usually have other people working for them, like dancers that work in the club will hang out with the person who's recruiting and it's like a little network and okay. they are like hey why don't you come and do a tryout why don't you come to this club and they usually take you to the nicest one in their network and they're like yeah why don't you come here you'll work a night see how you like it and they usually set you up in a way that you'll make good money that first night and then they like rope you in you know yeah. um where like that first night is so unrealistic um, but it's also so daunting because you're like, I've never done this kind of thing before. Um, and they just kind of see if you have what it takes to like hack it in the world. Okay. Question before, cause obviously that, that sounds quite, um, illusionary and, but, the, but in perspective, the vast majority of jobs are like that. It's just, we don't like to see them like that. It's like, oh, we'll put you on a trial period. Oh, here's your first two weeks where everything settles in. Oh, by the way, here's your now desk with your mountain load of paperwork you've got to do. Like every job has that, uh, that moment, that prelim section of, oh, then why don't you just try it out? Why don't you just do these, these little bits and pieces and, and see how you feel and, and bits and, and, and yes, what have you. It's just the absolutely. All jobs have that grace period mm -hmm. where they put these rose-colored lenses on your eyes and they show you how good this job can be. Yes. And then after that small period of whatever time is done, then they put you to work. 
Yeah, 110%. And and it's weird that it's completely accepted, but as soon as you start comparing it to, like, sex work, everyone's just like, whoa, wait a minute, that's not okay, we're not Oh my gosh, yeah, as soon as, like, a nipple pops out, people are like, <gasps> and I'm like, all right. <laughs> but only a female nipple. That is the only nipple that is offensive, despite the fact that we all have them, and genetically we all have them because we were all females in the womb, but that's by and by the point. Heaven forfend, you know? It's just... <laughs> Oh, God, when you actually look at the science of it, it's so backwards. But anyway, so you, so you got recruited then, like, from an agency. Like, mm -hmm. they literally picked you up and were like, hey, how's it going? Like, look look at this wonderful job where you can make absolute bank. Yeah, I was a waitress in a really shit restaurant where I got paid in cash and tipped in quarters. So I was making, like, maybe $3 an hour with tips, maybe 7 Um and it was like a real crap part of town to where like after a certain hour, you had to keep people like out of the bathrooms from like bathing in the sink. Like if that gives you an idea of like where I lived. Interesting. Um, yeah. So there were some people that I knew um, like through parties and stuff. Like you ever go to a house party and you just like slowly like network and you realize how everybody knows each other. Yeah. I started to meet people like in certain lines of work. And there was this girl who had like just a shit ton of money. Um and I was just like, what do you do? And she's like, oh, I'm a dancer. And I'm like, so you just dance? And like, you just have all this money? And like, of course, she like left out the things that would deter you from the job. Um, like how gross people can be. But I was just like, oh my gosh, like, how, how do you get into this? And then she was like, oh, I got you. Um, so yeah, oh. I like maybe like a week or two later did like my, my audition, basically. And yeah. It and was... you were 18 at this point? 19? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was 18, like, maybe two months prior to meeting her. Okay, so, my real question mm -hmm. here at this point is, on that first day, when you were sort of, like, the, the daunting part of it, the, the trying out, doing a bit of this and that and what have you, did you feel fit as fuck? Did you feel really sexy in the fact that you were there being sexy with things or was it more along the lines of okay this is actually quite terrifying this is not what i was expecting it to be so the feeling of like feeling sexy and feeling mm -hmm. empowerment came later when i got good okay. at it the first couple nights were just a shit show like i didn't know how to dance like even like you know a dad at a wedding kind of dance let alone around a pole and being sexy okay um so the first night or two, like, I remember being on stage and I was like holding the pole in one hand and like walking around it. Like, like, you know, you ever see like somebody who doesn't know how to walk in high heels where they walk with like bent knees? Yes. Like that. All the time. <laughs> I'm very aware yeah. of what this is like. This looks like every yeah, time like, I like go a, on a night a out. A fawn that doesn't know how to walk yet, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was me on stage the first couple of times. So when I was like holding the pole in one hand and like walking in a circle, like bent knees, like shaky chicken legs, you know, I'm just like, how do people do this? And one of the other girls like left her pole because the stage, it was like a very long runway with a pole at the end. And then it had two brackets that would come off of it. And those had poles. Okay. So when you were on stage, you would go to the furthest pole, do a song, and then everybody would rotate and you do four total. Okay. So each time you went on stage, it was for half an hour. Like it's 30 minutes yeah. straight of dancing, um, which takes a lot out of you. And nobody tells you that. Yeah. But my, yeah, my first night I was at the main pole and one of the other girls left her pole and walked over and she like, like nobody can hear you talking because the music is so loud. But she yeah. was like, she was like, look at me, look at my hips, do this just mirror what i'm doing and she was like like lording over me in like a sexy kind of way so everybody who wasn't on stage hearing this is just like oh this is what is happening you know okay. but she was just like you need to get better <laughs> i i'm um, going to stand over you so that it looks all very alluring like some kind of uh, girl on girl action but i'm actually telling you exactly what to fucking do yeah, she's like, I'm trying to help you because you yeah. can, like, do better than this. And, I, like, yeah, after that, I took the dancing part of it a lot more seriously. Did, do you think that was, like, mainly nerves or was it, like, the, the atmosphere? What, what, what was it that you think that, that caused that first level of, of woodenness? Were you just not used to heels, <laughs> perhaps? 
Heels was a part of it. That took time. <laughs> and I also didn't have dancer heels, which was a huge fucking difference between regular high heels and pleasers. Yes. Pleasers have that big platform underneath like where your toes sit um, so that the incline that you're standing on is far less steep where fashion shoes you're standing like on the tips of your fucking toes and they're not meant to be worn for very long yes um but for, so once for clarity uh pleaser is definitely a brand but there are other varieties but it's it's that large heel and they but they're specifically built for dancing so they're they've got like a a bar that goes down the the like ridge of your foot as it were into the mm -hmm. base which makes them a lot sturdier and not easier to walk on not that I have experience of a lot of high heels, but um, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's where that comes in, you know. Continue. Yeah, they're they're very tall and they're meant to be tall because you're there's like this illusion of being exotic and like six feet tall, and I'm five foot two, um, so I would wear like six to eight inch platforms nightly. Um, so I was walking around at almost six feet tall when I was on the job, and it was pretty wild. Yeah, I took uh, I took dancing a lot more seriously after that. And it took a while to like get in that comfortability of like knowing how to move your body. It's kind of like when models like learn their angles, you know, like you look which you know, like which parts of you mm -hmm. like look more pleasing from a certain angle. Doing that in person and live to an audience, um, you have to learn that. And it feels super unnatural, doesn't it? Say again. It feels super unnatural. Yes. The first couple times you do it, you're like not used to basically showcasing yourself. And that's what you're doing. You're selling the illusion of something. Um, because even though stripping is classified as sex work, like you don't have sex with these people. No. Um, it's just like holding a biscuit in front of a dog, but never giving them the biscuit, you know? And and that's that. I mean, that is definitely an important part in regards to I mean, sex work as a whole, like one of the things I really want to talk about at some stage on this podcast is like the difference between sex and pornography and the fact that pornography is, like you were saying, the illusion of sex. You're selling the idea of something and it is exactly what you were basically saying. That it's, the, it's the angles, it's the allure, the aesthetics, that, 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 real, that the, real, the real tease there that, that grabs you. You know, did you mm -hmm. have a partner at the time while you were while you were doing these things? So uh, my roommate and I got an apartment together because we were both, you know, like 18, 19. Um, we found like uh, I used to live outside of Detroit. I call it hood adjacent um, okay. because it wasn't like in the heart, but it was still like in the outskirts. Yeah. We found an apartment where like they would rent to us because we were young. We had no credit. We had no assets and we could pay our rent in cash. So yeah. it was one of those places. Um, so uh, it was me and my roommate and we both worked there, which was nice because we would trade like who would drive and what nights we would work. We would schedule together. So, yeah, I did have like someone I could rely on because I don't know how someone would feel as comfortable like starting in that industry totally alone yeah now that that sounds well and truly terrifying because as much as like from my experience of of the stripping community and i would like to point out that the my experience of of stripping in the uk versus the states is very different like they are very very different atmospheres but we'll talk about that in a bit um but like it does have that that closeness of the fact that you're you're there, you're there with your your friends, you've got your the backup support of of bouncers or or management or what have you, depending mm -hmm. obviously on the place. Um, but there's also like it, it cannot be denied that as much as you will get really nice um clients who are really respectful and pay well and stuff like that, you will also get the sleaze balls who treat you like a piece of meat. Like yes, you. you it's, I mean, I've felt that doing cabaret, doing male burlesque. So I can only imagine what it's like to, to, to go that next step and do full stripping in an atmosphere that is built around basically making people horny. That's, that's what the, the atmosphere is built around, you know? Yeah. The nice thing is that if you work in a reputable club, which if you ever you know take this line of work i highly recommend you do because i was lucky enough to work in a club where you like if you're not on stage you wear a floor length dress you keep covered 
Um, you are only to be showing yourself when you are showcasing yourself on stage or with a client. You don't walk around with your boobs out. That's not professional. Okay. Um, and it was a really nice environment to be in. And when I got comfortable in that situation, I was like, oh, well, let me try a different club and see if I would like it. And people were discussing like the way that they would treat you is like you owed them something. So, yeah, I went back to the former nicer club and I worked over an hour away from like where I lived because I just wanted like my privacy outside of working there. Yeah. But yeah, there were definitely like clientele people that um, would just pay for your time. Like they were just businessmen or people with money that were like traveling and they were used to going to clubs of this sort and they would go there. They'd eat really good food. Little known fact, strip clubs have amazing food amazing food like they, they had food like in strip clubs what they, yeah what? oh yeah we had like surf and turf like people would get like filet mignon and the lobster like it was so what? good yeah <laughs> I feel like i've been lied to all of my life what is oh this? no they had such good food oh gosh um but some people will just like wanted to have a nice dinner look at boobs and have somebody like in their booth conversation wise um so yeah they would just like pay you to sit there and hang out and listen to whatever crap they had to say and you know what, like, like, because I I've frequented uh, many a strip joint in in my life, um, which is really weird, mainly because I know strippers. So it's weird because, like, I have been to strip joints. I don't know, like at least five or six times a year since I was about twenty, twenty one maybe, and I think I've had maybe three dances because every single time I go there, they're like, "No, Valen, we know you," and it would be weird. Um, so it was it was interesting. Um, but one of the dances, I remember, it was like a, a new person, and I I remember very clearly because I paid for me and two of my friends to to get dances from three of these um, three of these dancers because one of the dancers was really rude, and I was like, right, you're really rude, so I'm gonna pay for me and my three friends to get the most expensive dances from three other people that are not you because you're rude. <laughs> Um, cause I'm that kind of person, but I remember like she, she was talking to, she was like, Oh, oh, Valen, you know, my friend, this person. And it was, ve it was such a surreal experience. Cause it was like 4am. I was very, very drunk. This beautiful lady was getting naked, but we were talking about like, we were just, it was like, we were sitting, having a coffee in a coffee shop. She was just there doing a thing. And she was like, Oh, that's really interesting. Oh, did you know this person's with this person now? I never thought about it. And I was just like, this is so weird. I'm Okay, we're having a conversation, and you'll get oh, all right, all right. This is peculiar, but some people do just go for that companionship, don't they? More than anything else. Yes, um, absolutely. And because this world is so fast cash, and like you can buy people's time, like quite literally. Like if you were to go in there and like give somebody fifty bucks, and you're like, "Hey, hang out for like ten minutes," they will. Yeah. Um, so if you have enough money and you just want somebody there, you can literally buy their time. That is, that is, I mean, amazing, actually. That, like, when you think about it, when you think about how many people that, that are out there that sometimes have really high-pressure jobs, or that maybe they have got, like, a, an appearance they need to uphold and stuff, and all they really want to do is vent. They just want to get shit off their chest to somebody that, that isn't going to cause problems or what have you. Did you ever find that you were um, ever recognized outside of work? Thankfully not, because the people who could afford to be in the club I worked at was never somebody I would meet outside of that place. That's probably for the best most of the time. Most yeah, like it was you had to be 21 and up, which I wasn't even 21. Um, you had to pay 50 bucks to get in. And then there was a drink minimum per hour. So like you had to be spending money actively to stay inside of this oh, club. That is, that is high maintenance. That, wow. Okay. Yeah. And it wasn't that it was hard to do. It was just to discourage people that didn't make a certain amount of money from staying for too long. That's interesting. It's it's very different from the strip clubs that we have, well, that I've experienced in the UK. Um, and I remember being so blown away by, by going over, because I went to Vegas with a few friends and we went to White Rhino. 
That is the most well-known one in the world. There you go. There you go. That's the one we went to because uh, we met a, a group of ladies on a night out and they guaranteed that we would get into all of the clubs all night so long as we took them to a strip, jar, a strip bar at the end of the night. That was, that was the negotiation. And um, it was weird to, to have that because in the UK, there are very, very strict rules around you are not allowed to touch any of the strippers ever like you mm -hmm. have to speak to them respectfully you have to like there, there are very very strict rules around how a guest regardless of gender talks to any of the dancers which is great which i, I thoroughly encourage um but it was very strange to me to walk into white rhino and have a stripper come over and be like hey how you doing and then slip her hand into mine and like walk around hand in hand and i was just like this is very strange we would not be allowed to do this in in the uk this what what is going on here and like we'd be sit down and she'd be like stroking my leg and i'm like what is happening this this <laughs> this, this is not what we do we have many layers between us what is i'm very british right now you know that had to be like a culture shock because white rhino has such a, a revolving door of entertainers come through it that there was a girl that worked at the club that I did that went to White Rhino for a weekend because she wanted to go to Vegas and she wanted to have the funds to stay there for a little while. So she just went to work like one night. Yeah. Um, but there will literally be a line out the back of like uh, dancers with like their duffel bag of like what they're going to wear. Um they will go in, they will change, they will like do a set on stage, they'll make a couple hundred dollars and then they'll bail. Or sometimes, you know, far more than a hundred dollars, but yeah. That is madness to me. But, but it's, do you know what I found really weird? And maybe you can, you can highlight the, whether this is, is a normal thing throughout the strip joints in America. Um, so in Vegas, there was a big thing about like, you couldn't get in as a single man anywhere. Like you, you couldn't get in. Um, unless you were with women, which is mm. the reason why we had this negotiation with these ladies. But these ladies came to White Rhino and they weren't allowed to do anything by themselves. So one of them wanted to go off to have a, a private session, like a private dance with one of the dancers, but she had to be escorted by one of us. To, to, and my friend very politely took her into one of these booths and said it was so weird and awkward because he was like sat, sat there very british sat on his hands sat there while basically she got a dance in front of him and he was like this is weird what why am i here what is going on you know is that like a, a non a cultural thing in regards to all strip joints or so there has been past incidents that lead that to be normal okay um a Big thing is usually a spouse will come in. They will find somebody based off of description. Um, maybe their husband or whoever had come in and spent far too much money. The spouse knows they come in and they like rip that girl a new asshole. That's horrible. That, like, like, okay, let, let's, let's approach that for a second there. Because that as a concept is mind blowing to me. Because, and this, this happens to sex workers of, of all levels, like all, all levels of sex work completely and utterly. A person goes in, a, a, a one part of a couple or one part of, of a relationship goes in, has a good time and with somebody who is doing their job. And the other person comes in and is like, by the way, even though you're doing your job, and you didn't know that we were together, and you know nothing about the dynamic, you know nothing about the scenario, I'm going to blame you for an unfaithfulness that didn't happen. It, it's, yeah. It's so A consenting adult enters an establishment. Consenting entertainer entertains. Money is exchanged through consent, and yet somehow the blame is always put on the sex worker. And, and that, that is a big thing that is like a, a big issue with sex work as a whole is the fact that it's always the sex worker's fault regardless of what the scenario is whether it's a a situation where they where a couple have broken up whether it's the fact that, that somebody has literally just gone to a sex worker whether that be a dancer whether that be um 
a sex worker in regards to like the the full blown sex or anything. It's always the sex worker's fault, despite mm-hmm. the fact that the sex worker is just doing a job and isn't asking the questions because the client doesn't want questions asked. Yeah, it's literally a job, and I paid taxes. Like I was a tax-paying citizen that just worked in a certain line of work that is obviously alive and well. Because if it wasn't, it would either be illegal or people wouldn't pay for it. Um, but and people still find, like to just stigmatize that line. That's what I find so mind-blowing, especially with the the recent controversies with like. Um, not even sure if... Do you know what? I don't know whether I meant to say it on uh, Twitch while we're recording this, but OnlyFans, I don't care. Um, with OnlyFans is the fact that they had issues with their payment providers in the regards that the payment providers, the big credit card people that, that literally dealt with the processing of payments, had issues with sex work in general. And it happened to Patreon. It happened to um, a number of other similar sort of sites where it was like, Here's a load of content that you can get to behind a paywall. And it's not the site that have an issue. It's not the creators that have an issue. It's the payment providers. It's these people that are like, here is a, like, like we are not happy morally, but we're happy to- The same issue exists at clubs. So there was a system called Cash Advance, where if you didn't bring enough cash, we would cash out on your card for you, but we would charge you a hell of a surcharge. So it wasn't like the $4 you would get at the ATM, it was $20 no matter how much you took out. Um, I remember very clearly that because when I went to, I, I remember one of the big culture shifts going to America was the fact that every cash machine charged you, which it doesn't in the UK. Um, okay. So you can go to not all cash points, but a lot of cash points in the UK and get your cash out of your bank account. And it won't charge you a thing. Um, and I remember going to America and it was usually three or $4 per cash point. Went to the one in White Rhino because I was like, hey, I fancy getting a round of drinks in with my friends. And I think I got out $30 and they charged me $23 for re- withdrawing any money for them. It was so like that, that, weirdly put me off spending any money because i was like how dare you what what is this this is ridiculous a lot of people feel that same way but if you knew what happened like behind the scenes where everybody who works there is paid in cash so like your cash advance not only covers that four dollar fee that your bank charges it also covers that like just digital transfer charge that's like whatever percent it also pays for the person who's doing it for you to do it yeah um so there was a couple things that like you had to make a, a certain amount every night in order to continue to work there. So you had your what? house mom, which is um, up in the dressing room. There's usually a, a woman or a spouse or somebody who's been like vetted by the club who brings snacks. She knows how to sew. She has beauty products. She has baby wipes. She has tampons. She has all the stuff that girls will need while they're there. Um, okay. And you pay her every night for her service. You have to. There's a bare minimum of like 5 to $10, but you tip her well if you want her to look after you. You also have to tip your DJ at the end of the night or he will play music that is not on your brand. And your brand does matter. Um, so you will pay him and you will pay him more to give you tips about who's coming in that night. You also like tip your bartenders well, even if you just order a soda. Sometimes you tip your your um, your room guy well because he's the one who will give you better rooms. So you had to make a certain amount of money and money was exchanging hands very quickly into different people to look out for you. If you didn't pay these people well, they didn't look out for you. That's so, that, that is a massively different culture to what I am led to believe is the UK culture because in the UK culture, it was the whole industry was was with the dancers and i remember very clearly being at a bar and chatting away to to a friend of mine and this guy came up behind me and was like hey how you doing you want to dance i'd love to look at like like proper eyeing this uh, lovely young lady up and she literally laughed in his face and went no she was like ah no no just just no can you not see i'm having a conversation fuck off um, and this guy was like, oh, come on. And he lit- she literally just clicked and the bouncer took this guy out. And I was just like, okay. And she was like, don't worry, I can see trouble a mile off. I was like, all right, well, this is weird, but all right. But that that the fact that you are, like, there is a mandate for, even if it's like an unwritten mandate to make certain money in order to just 
I don't know, see the ebb and flow of the politics within the industry? Is, is that an accurate way of putting it, I suppose? Kind of. It's a relationship building world. Your mm -hmm. world is based off of relationships. Like you could work weekends, you could do bachelor parties, you could make that fast cash off of people you'll never see again. But if you want a reliable source of income, you make friends. Um, and these people have been there longer than you and they know who good friends are. Okay. Um, so if you're good friends with them, you slowly in turn become good friends with other people. I see. Speaking of friends, and I previously mentioned that it was weird for, like, uh, there was a lot of my friends who are um, dancers who were just like, yeah, Val, we're not dancing for you because it would be weird, which I completely <laughs> respect. Um, mm -hmm. Did you ever dance for somebody you knew? Obviously, no. no names. But... Um, no. Uh, with that lifestyle came a lot of partying. Like, I would have, like, parties at my apartment, you know, um, but they were like shallow party friends. Like, do I talk to any of those people anymore? Not really, no. Um, but when people would find out what line of work you're in, they would be like, oh, well, I've got, you know, like a couple dollars, $25, whatever. You know, like, can I get a dance? I'm like, do you think I'm at work right now? Absolutely. No, absolutely not. What? That's ridiculous. Oh, by the way, uh, hey, hey, you're the actual accountant. I know that you were having a beer in the bar right now, but how about you do my taxes? Uh, I, can, I can pay you uh, £2.50 and a bag of chips. There's, that's a, it, it's so weird. It's so weird. It's like when you're a singer and people are like, oh, go on then, give us a song. And you're like, no. Yeah. How, what, yeah. What? what the fuck um, are you on about? It doesn't really even matter like what the service is. Like people... As soon as they know that you do whatever thing is, you know, insert job title, they feel like a weird sense of entitlement for you to like prove that you're good at your job or that that is your job. Um, and when it comes to sex, which is something that, you know, this whole world like revolves around in some weird way, even if it is, you know, like behind a curtain or not talked about. Um, yeah, people still feel that sense of entitlement. It, it's and it's I mean, it happens anyway in the arts industry. But I know that it happens a lot more in the sex industry. And it happens mm -hmm. a hell of a lot more. Did you, um, I mean, this is certainly a question that I would, a question that springs to mind, even though I have met loads of people and, and it's all fine and dandy. But did you have like a romantic partner? And if so, what did they think about you being a dancer? So through my sex work career i had two different partners um one i had started dating before i was a dancer and our relationship changed slowly but gradually as i was becoming a dancer um to where i was like the main breadwinner because unless you're having like a five-figure job the money that you make in sex work is so quick um, and was a huge ramp up compared to like me being a waitress in a shitty diner. Um, so when you come home with like a thousand dollars in your pocket and your partner is like, holy shit, like we should do something fun. So now it's our money, not just my money. Um, and it slowly became things like that to where it's like, oh, I'm short on my phone bill this month. Like, can you cover me? Oh, like I'm short on rent. Can you cover me? And initially I was like, yeah, of course, you're my partner. Like, I want to look out for you. And then it slowly became me just paying for things. Um, and I became like a cash cow. I wasn't, yeah. it wasn't an equal partnership anymore. Yeah. And, and that actually happens more often than I would like to, to uh, admit. Like, the idea that there is a glamorization of dating a sex worker um of being like oh yeah it's really cool i'm dating a i'm dating a stripper oh, i'm dating a um a sex worker dating a cam girl and then when you realize how much they're bringing in because it is an on-demand service and it's a very highly paid on-demand service mm -hmm. like it, i can see in fact i know for a fact that that has happened to at least three people outside of yourself that that i can think of that has, that has definitely happened to so I can imagine it is a lot more common than we would like to admit, you know? Yeah, and it became a weird thing of, like, as soon as you start to, like, kind of have a closer hold on your own budget, like, from my perspective, like, me keeping my money to myself, 
then it becomes like, oh, well, you know, like you make this money like off of men and people like being gross towards you, which is their ill-conceived notion of like what I do without actually asking me what I do. Um, So then they try to like guilt you into, you know, like doing something with them. And then, yeah, it was, it lasted like, I think less than a year with me working there um, and being with that partner. So, yeah. It's hard to date when you're a sex worker because having that conversation of what you do is very difficult. Having them be okay with it and secure with themselves over time is the big thing. Initially, they'll be like, oh my God, that's so cool. What do you do? Tell me the details. And then you'll come home with two grand and they're like, what did you do for that? It's like, why do you think I did something wrong? And also there's, and it has to be said, there is a possessive issue there as yes. well there I'm is not a property yeah you you are getting naked but i consider that to be mine and other people looking at that is not okay and other yes. people like obviously not regarding yourself there but in regards to like other sex workers other people touching that other people doing things with with your body like suddenly you are no longer allowed to be a human being you, like you say property it, it, it's it's oh, oh it gets my back right up it gets my back right up so yeah, you mentioned the, oh no continue go ahead um i was just gonna say like i think people what they're largely missing is the whole consent that goes into it like mm-hmm. i consented to go to work i'm consenting for whatever it is to happen i'm consenting between two adults for this money to exchange hands for service is it sex no. Is it sex work? Yes. I'm half naked and I'm entertaining, but that does not mean I have like less rights. I'm not less of a human. No, and that that is such a massive thing that that really grinds my goat because I mean this the when we talk about like sex work and sex workers, um, there is a thing that I've, I've there was always as I was growing up, there was always this thing is like oh nobody ever parties like the gays do. Nobody ever parties like strippers do. Nobody parties. Like, I I have (laughs) literally been to a a situation where I was around at a house party and the the person whose house it was literally filled the entire backyard with bouncy castles because they could. And I was just like, what the fuck is this? I don't even, I don't don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening. This is amazing. Um, But... A stripper's yeah. lifestyle is a party. So like we have to kind of like one up what we would ever see at work for it to feel like a party. Otherwise it feels like work. That makes sense. As somebody who is has a questionable lifestyle, or certainly did before the panini, <laughs> um, I feel that. Like it's it's that when I dress up for stream and when I dress up for my events and stuff like that, I want to go the extra mile for me going out on a night out because of that that feeling that I don't want it to feel like work. And yes. I can, yeah, I can feel that. It's like you already work in the party environment. You don't want it to be like work. Yeah. And for people who aren't normally in the first environment, when they skip straight to the second one, they're like, whoa, like pump yeah. the brakes a little. What's happening? <laughs> yeah, 100%. 100%. And I can only imagine that it gets more wild if there's any kind of like friendly, unwritten competition between the dancers about how hard they party. Yes. Oh my gosh. There was one night where we had like, I'm sure at some point you've seen or participated in like a beer bong, which is like a funnel with a tube coming off of it. You hold the tube above the funnel, you pour a whole beer in there, you lower the tube and you drink a whole beer really quickly. Yeah. Um, at some point throughout the night, I remember one of the girls that um, was a coworker and a friend was just like pouring like straight liquor in there. And I'm like, whoa, I can't hang with that. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely been in similar scenarios. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, yeah. Mm. Ah. <laughs> R.I.P. my liver. Um, so, yeah. So you mentioned like earlier, and I'm very conscious of time here. You mentioned earlier that you then left the the uh, exotic dancer to become a nominatrix so there was a um time like layover between the two to okay. where i had met um, my primary client at the club um and it was an interesting situation because they largely only went by like their pet name 
Um, you didn't really ever get to know like their government name. And we would have like paid time. He would basically like interview you to see if you were somebody he was interested in um, being dominated by. And he, I think he paid me like $150 for like 10 minutes of my time and was like, would you do X, Y, Z? Is this a hard no? Is it, or is this something you're okay with? Um, like, have Again. you done this before? Again, consent. Yes, yeah. absolutely. It wasn't just like, hey, pretty lady, like you want to come over? <laughs> no, it was very like respectful, which is why I was comfortable doing it. Um, but yeah, I got paid about $250 an hour for about three hours, like once or twice a month to make a fool of this man. And that was like what my dominatrix career largely consisted of. Humiliation was play. Humiliation. It was very powerful men with very high paying jobs um, that wanted to feel small. And that is remarkably frequent, actually. Knowing yes. as somebody also who runs um, like fetish events and stuff like that, one of the big reasons why we have such a big thing on anonymity is because we do have people in positions of power coming just because they want to feel a little bit more free, you know? Yeah, um, in their day-to-day -day life, you know, I'm sure if they walked into a boardroom or wherever they do their business, there would be all eyes on them. People would be very quiet and respectful and see them as the authority figure. And if in their day-to-day -day life, you know, that is the constant feeling, they will pay people to break that feeling to make them feel like shit or small or however far they want to take it mm -hmm. yeah no 100 percent. and and you so you say that you had a bit of a layover between that did did the uh dancing move into that is that is that how you got into that kind of lifestyle slowly i danced less and less because dancing is a grind like you can go to work and make no money if like the weather sucks or if it's dead but you're still scheduled because yeah. you had to work three days a week minimum to keep your spot there because they only took on so many girls and if you wanted to be in a nice club you kept your spot yeah, yeah. um so yeah you could go to work and make no money but you don't you don't dom and make no money that's not yeah. a thing yeah, yeah, yeah so it slowly became um being a dom over being a dancer and what was the point where you went you know what i'm not going to be a dancer anymore i'm going to be well i'm going to continue on the the dom lifestyle when i could pay all my bills working two days a month when you could pay all of your bills working two days a month yes so lifestyle included because i was used to living like that high dollar amount lifestyle like constant parties paying my rent like all that stuff working two days a month um when i could do that i was just like yeah this this is what i would prefer and that is a perspective and a half for all those people listening to what kind of Well, one of the many appeals in sex work, and, and it needs to be said that that is not the only appeal, because evidently at some stage you decided to leave. Yes. So with all of that cash-based income, it is very hard for someone who works in the sex industry to get any line of credit, to get any assets, to get people to like let you open a bank account where you only make cash deposits. It's very hard to stay in that lifestyle and be like a normal American citizen. So at one point I was like, you know, it is hard to even save money because I have to do it in an envelope in my underwear drawer. I have to pay um, money transfer fees. Like if you go to like a gas station, you can get like, um, like a, 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 basically a check. Like you give the cashier $200 and like whatever the processing fee is, they'll give you a check that you can bring to like your, your cell phone provider or whatever, because like you can't really pay them in cash. Um, so it just became incredibly difficult for me to like use my own money. Um, and I but was you just just like go to it because in the UK, we can just go to a bank and just deposit money. Like because there's a lot of cash in hand jobs in the UK. But is that not a viable thing over in the US? It depends on how much money you're making. 
Ah. Um, if you make a deposit over a certain amount, the IRS will flag you and they ask you, like, what is this? And if it happens enough times, you kind of get sick of it. Um, so, yeah, it, it just became yeah. I was way too young to understand, like, how I could do this. I didn't have any kind of financial advisor. Um, it just it was too hard. And and I get that. I get that. And the other thing is that it's it's also got to be commented there as well is the fact that it's not just it's not just personal relationships that are affected by being a sex worker turning around and especially in certain places uh, in America and certain places in the UK as well there is a bias and certain religious and moral I'm going to in in inverted commas attitudes that basically you you turn around and be like hey will you be my financial advisor and they go yeah sure what's your job oh, i'm a sex worker no close the door to you like like that it, it's difficult to do it because they're like oh no i just want to i want to deal with upstanding citizens like sex workers aren't upstanding citizens it's Yes, like I literally wanted to get a better apartment outside of the hood and I could pay for an entire year's lease in cash walking into that office and they wouldn't take me because my credit score wasn't at what they wanted it to be. And I couldn't get a credit card because I didn't have assets. I couldn't get assets because I had a cash lifestyle. That, this is where the, the downfall of capitalism comes in is, is that you can be super independent and earning lots of money but if you don't have it in a digital format, that is... Yes. Wow. And I couldn't get a digital format because my bank wouldn't accept cash deposits over X amount or X frequency. And I was like, well, then I'm forever going to have this amount of cash on me and this amount in the bank, and they're never going to be the same. And yeah, it was just, it was too hard. Which is the reason why you eventually left and now you're a, a good old content creator on Twitch. Um, being yeah. very conscious again of time, um, I'm going to jump over to some of these questions because I sure. would happily, happily chat to you about this for the next like four hours because I find it <laughs> super interesting. Um, but let's jump over. Um, we've got, how does one go from being a fierce dominatrix to being literally the softest person on the internet, Didi? I think because I had to build up such thick skin to work in the sex worker field. Um, I have a lot of empathy for people and I understand like how hard shit can be and like what life can throw at you. And given that I went through it so young, I just, I like to give people benefit of the doubt, you know? No, that makes complete sense. And I suppose that that's something that you, that stayed with you from that, like a learning from that is the fact that, you know, give people the benefit of the doubt, have thick skin take things on the chin and realize that sometimes people are just lashing out for whatever reason and, and what have you. Absolutely. Kind of yeah. Um, what was your favorite part of the job or a really good memory that you have of that time that makes you smile to this day? My favorite part was being a really fucking good dancer. Like I'm <laughs> still a really good dancer. I don't talk about it online. I mean, maybe I will after today, but I learned how to pole dance in like a really incredible way i had like a six pack like i was freaking shredded because like pulling yourself up and down that pole for half an hour straight multiple times a night that shit takes strength not willpower oh, yeah. um and uh, then I, yeah also More. like just like your skin is what grips you to the pole so like having your thighs hold you there having your calf or an armpit or whatever it is that is your pinch point holding you there like you're going to get a bruise. It's going to look like someone kicked your ass, but you get better and you get stronger. And it was really empowering. I remember being a pole dancer myself and looking like a, an addict from the waist down with the amount of <laughs> bruises I got on my wonderfully. Oh, yeah. It looks like someone legs. just beat your legs with like a bag of oranges. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was, it was uh, pole kisses is what they call them uh, mm. in my pole studio. Oh, pole kisses. Mm. <laughs> I'm curious about body positivity in the industry uh, in Didi's experience. Is there body positivity? I'm guessing so. That's from from the question. Is it a scenario where there was lots of different people of lots of different uh, ethnicities and body sizes and, and stuff like that? That kind of thing? Did you all big each other up? Um, there 
was an incredible amount of diversity within that club because you had to cater to everybody. Not everybody likes the same aesthetic um, or personality like that. Those two things went hand in hand. So it was your body and also your mind. You couldn't have one without the other. Um, and yes, we definitely gassed each other up because if there was like someone that I would sit down at their table and they'd be like, mm, you're just too this for me, then I would go find the person who fit the bill, go tell them that they would like fit in nicely there. And then you just made a friend with that girl and the table. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's those little social dynamics. And mm -hmm. um, what have we got here? Has Uber or Lyft, the rideshare culture in general, led to any severe safety issues versus having regular vetted drivers for any of the performers? We mostly drove ourselves and our cars would be valeted. So uh, customers couldn't pair up where a girl was going or where they came from. Ah, like I did wonder with it, with the industry being around people getting horny, basically, making yeah. sure that there was safety for the girls getting to and from their cars, as it girls were. Girls left after close, and the valet would go get your car for you to make sure nobody's, like, waiting by your car or something. Yeah, which is which is great to hear that, that yes. that level of consideration is taken, at least in the clubs that you worked at. Mm -hmm. um, would you ever consider delving back into that line of work again, or are you happier with your current career path? I'm happier with what I do now. I have an immense amount of respect for people in that world. And uh, I tried my best to spread the good word of sex workers and what they do, being that I was one. Um, but I don't think I would ever go back because I don't think I have the patience for it anymore. When I was like young and more naive and I was really on the hustle and the grind and could sleep four hours a night and go back to it. Yes. Um, but that lifestyle kicks the shit out of you, and I don't think I could do it anymore. And I think that's that's an important thing is the the stamina side of things. Like you have to want it. Yeah, and and let's not lie about it. the The money is very lucrative and very tempting. Um, yes, but it is a hard slog. It is a yes. hard slog to make it. You can't show up to work and be tired. People know, and they don't want to pay for that. Um, are there people in the industry who don't party or consume alcohol, or is that considered very strange? It's actually pretty normal for dancers to not consume alcohol. If you drink too much, you get sloppy. Um, a lot of girls would have um, a name for a drink that they would order. Like if a, a, a patron went to buy you a drink, you'd be like, actually, I'll take a geisha. And a geisha is a non-alcoholic drink that looks like it's alcoholic and sometimes they'll even pour with their thumb over the nozzle to make it look like they're still serving you alcohol because the other person who's drinking alcohol wants their friend to be drinking alcohol um of course. so some people are cool with you just you you know you telling them you're not drinking other times you order something with a different name that that makes a hell of a lot of sense so it's still building up that atmosphere and illusion of yes. the fact that everything's still going that that makes sense um, you mentioned crazy parties. What was the craziest party that you threw? Oh, my gosh. So we, at our apartment, um, ate all of the food that we had in our fridge. Like, we had a potluck the night before to get rid of all of the food in the fridge so that the entire fridge could be filled with jello shots. Um, Classic. We spent 18 hours making an assorted rainbow of jello shots. So when you opened up the fridge, it was just like a big gay glowing rainbow and it was beautiful um we also spent two days freezing an ice mold for an ice luge that went down a dining room table so that you could take a shot off of it um and yeah it was just all kinds of different things we had a stripper pole in the living room so that friends who came over that didn't know how to dance like they could you know mess around on it like give themselves bruises um it was all kinds of stuff. Like we had a, a glow light party one day where we just gave everybody highlighters and everybody drew on each other and we were all glowing and it was really cool. I love that. I love that. Especially as I have definitely done the highlighter side of things again before as well. And with UV paints and stuff. Oh, it's great. It's so great. fun. Fantastic. Love that. Um, uh, last question as this slipped in just nice and quickly. Um, how has what you learned about communication and consent changed your life? Mm, I consider consent to be one of the highest forms of respect in my life. Um, 
as streaming on Twitch, even a small thing like somebody backseating your game, you did not consent to get that information. So I like to say, please ask before you do something, because then we both know that we're both willing participants in this exchange, even if that exchange is information. Consent is key to literally everything you do in life. Um, I also like to talk about how I'm feeling. I have like a three-part uh, emote set on Twitch that says emotional because I am emotional and I want to talk about it. And it's okay if you talk about it too. It just leads to understanding. That's amazing. Is there uh, anything else you want to add to this? I mean, this is Respect been a... sex workers. Respect sex workers. <laughs> Come on now. Play the game. God. But also, um, thank you so much for giving me like this space to talk about it. It hasn't been a part of my online career um, and going forward i do not want to work with any brand or company or otherwise that does not respect sex workers i have not done anything like a sponsored stream before and i won't with somebody that doesn't respect them i mean that is the reason why my business cards are condoms so everyone knows where <laughs> they stand you know that is that is the scenario well thank you for for approaching me and being like hey something i want to talk about and and trusting me in in that um it does it feel good now that you've got it off your chest yes it feels like coming out like i know i'm like people already know i'm gay but like now you know like this other thing too so i don't know it's a big old dose of good brain chemicals yeah we love that we love that well before we go anywhere else you glorious individuals people i need to say some thank yous first of all i'd like to say a massive thank you to kate sway for the intro graphic of course to alexander devonport for the video the vod uh, background and of course to uh, Mountain Goat who does the theme tune, the glorious theme tune we have here in uh, for Thirsty Work. I'd also like to thank the glorious, the beautiful Debra Dame for uh, poking me and being like, hey, Mr. V, do, do the thing, let me do the thing, let me talk about stuff. Um, and of course to all of you beautiful individuals, Debra Dame, would you like to tell people where they can find you, please? Yeah, on Twitch at uh, Dapper Dame. I'm definitely emotional over there and play all kinds of games revolving around that, melting my brain with puzzles, the the whole lot. Also, Twitter and Instagram at I am Dapper Dame. There we go. There we go. And you can find me at Valenvane on pretty much every social media site um, there is going at the moment. Mm -hmm.